0: Buddham Dhammang Sanghang Namasam Recently I have been reflecting on some of the different ways that people approach Buddhism. Particularly now where um, you see it quite often referred to and reading news articles and Buddhist practices. It's uh, increasingly mainstream. And so reflecting on these different ways that people approach Buddhism and whether they, or to what degree, these are really serving people well. Obviously, as we all know, the Buddha gave these teachings because he realized that they lead to freedom from suffering. And so that's the point. Uh, I'm taking up these teachings. Are they effectively leading people away from suffering? Are they helping? And so sometimes there's, there are those who approach Buddhism from an academic perspective and having a conversation about this with somebody recently, how the first Buddha images appeared in that place, which is known these days as Afghanistan, when uh, when Buddhism was there and the the Greeks were making their way over. And so, the first Buddha images uh, are called Gandhara Buddhas, and they've got like togas and top knots. And and so, there are those who study the history of Buddhism and know about how Buddhism spread and King Asoka and and Buddhism went to Sri Lanka and, and how it arrived in Burma and Thailand and so on. Or the academic understanding you know, the suttas, like what is what is really meant by, in the Buddha's teaching on the part of the 12 links of dependent origination. Um, was the Buddha talking about many lives or was he talking about within one life? What does he really mean? What does the Buddha really mean by that? And looking up all the different references and commentaries and thinking a lot about it and or you study the Abhidhamma and you learn all about how many Jaita seekers there are in a second or or what is what is actually a Dosa Mula jitta and a Dosa Mula jitta that means a, a a mind state that's arising out of aversion and so we can know by studying about Buddhism, Buddhist history and the suttas and the Abhidhamma, we can learn a lot about Buddhism. However, does, does it really equip us with the skills so that, for instance, if we're actually experiencing anger and knowing about a dosamula mula jitta can be fascinating, does it really give us the skills that we need so as to survive? the fires of rage when they flare up Mm. does it help it can help to some degree however if that's all we have if all we have is an academic perspective it seems to me that there's a real risk that uh, we could still be overwhelmed uh, when the fire of anger flares up so there's the academic approach, then there's also the cultural approach. There's plenty of people who are born in Buddhist countries, and in Sri Lanka, and Burma, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Tibet, China, Vietnam, Malaysia. There's Buddhist countries and people born into Buddhist families and... They're taught this is what Buddhists do. They, they go to the temple and they light incense and they bow and they chant and, and they might learn lots of chanting. And it might be generating real benefit like the faith in the Buddha could be uh, building up a, a great resource of wholesomeness and be, be very beneficial and, and devotional practices can be very beneficial and keeping precepts can be very beneficial, and, and, and cultivating generosity can be very beneficial. However, sometimes you, those who approach Buddhism from a cultural perspective, cultural conditioning, are not inclined to ask questions. And the Buddha really wanted us to ask questions, like, what really matters in life? That's a, that's a really important question. And just because our parents or our grandparents who are Buddhists Uh, so we're Buddhists, that's that's not really the best motivation. If you read the Kalama Sutta uh, even the Buddha's opinions and views, he didn't want us to blindly follow, he wanted us to ask questions, to inquire like the second factor of the seven factors of enlightenment, the seven bojangga tamawichaya inquiry, the spirit of inquiry. If we want to protect ourselves from the risk of being overwhelmed by for instance anger or sadness or fear or anxiety that comes with chaos, then we need more than believing in the Buddha and believing in the Dhamma or following it because that's what our parents or grandparents did. It can still leave us vulnerable if all we're doing is believing then it occurred to me that there's also those in the west these days who come to buddhism and see it as a kind of an aspect of of the new age movement and and maybe they they've, they've uh, learned some some do some pilates exercises and they do their qigong and, and and Mantra chanting and and so on and and then they hear about doing a silent buddhist meditation retreat so they book onto a, a silent meditation retreat and and, and go off to learn that, and, and again, once again, it could be wholesome, and certainly better than than uh, a lot of other activities that could be getting up to, and substance abuse, and and so on. There's uh, yeah, certainly an improvement. However, remembering what the Buddha really gave these teachings for, it was uh, for the freedom from suffering, to to lead to that understanding, to lead lead us in the direction where there's a real shift in how we relate to suffering, really learning what suffering is. And so some of the New Age motivations or approaches to the spiritual life, it's it's kind of like building up credentials and and accumulating uh, more rather than going in the direction that the Buddha was encouraging, which is actually letting go. It's not accumulating more spiritual credentials. It's it's learning how to really let go. And of course this is where we're fortunate if we come across great teachers like last week I spoke about the uh, teaching that uh, Lung Ho Cha gave us in that talk which I was mentioning in the Dead of the Night where the ordeal that Ajahn Chah went through. He wasn't He wasn't preoccupied with learning about Buddhism. He wasn't learning about the Buddha or learning about the Dhamma. He wasn't learning about anything. He had prepared himself with the normal pariyati, the normal level of study and preparation, which is absolutely right and necessary. However, what he was engaged in was the actuality, was investigating really what's going on. In his case, it was fear, fear of death and really looking closely at that within himself and so what he was talking what we're talking about here is and what is being encouraged is a turning around of our attention and looking inwards so instead of sending our attention out and looking for more information about buddhism about dhamma about the techniques it's rather a change in direction of attention that is called for, hmm. and this is where we move from a study, or as I was saying, pariyatti, into patipatti, or the actual application of effort. is making It's making a very different sort of effort. Maybe you've noticed as those who who are committed to the inner inquiry and and this particular orientation of, of effort. You, you can meet people who are very skilled in Buddhist studies, but it's like you're talking a different language with each other. Or maybe people who have a cultural appreciation of Buddhism, and again it's the same thing, you can both feel uh, respect and appreciation for the Dhamma, it's like you're talking a different language. Or people who Sometimes uh, maybe book on a retreat to come to the monastery and and, uh, and you have a conversation about uh, what goes on here and they're really surprised to find out what actually happens on a retreat. It's so, like talking a different language. And sooner or later at some stage we, we want to stop sending our attention out and turn it inwards and look inwards, feel inwards, you know, study inwards To always be learning about Buddhism, learning about the Dhamma and and believing in Dhamma, that's about the same as somebody who is learning about food or cooking and yet starving, starving to death. You can know a lot about the the chemistry of food and and the process of cooking and and lots about different recipes. However, the point, the essence, the most important aspect of food, surely, is eating it. So we don't get hungry. I mean, that's the point of food. And likewise, the point of the Buddha's teaching is to learn how to redirect our attention inwards so as we can study what's really going on when we get caught up in anger, when we get caught up in sadness, when we get caught up in fear. What's really going on and is there anything we can do about it? It's very easy to send our attention outwards. This is naturally when you're a child you've got these senses, seeing, hearing, smelling and so on and and it's so exciting. Life is amazing. All the, the things to see, hear, and smell, and taste. and, and if, we're not, if we don't get a spiritual education, maybe that's all we do. We never really learn to inquire, you know, to contemplate, to redirect attention. It's perfectly understandable that human beings don't do this because they often don't receive the teachings that encourage them to do that. Even some religions just give other stories to believe in and and hope that everything's going to be okay sometime in the future. Not really equipping people with the understanding of this possibility of training ourselves so as to inquire, to to turn attention inwards and really, really reflect, that's a good word, to really reflect on our experience, the nature of our experience and this is this is the pursuit of what the Buddha referred to as Panya or wisdom or clear seeing. So there's so much, so many aspects of the Buddha's teachings that are relevant and beneficial, however they're all aimed at encouraging us to direct attention inwards for the sake of cultivation of understanding, of clear seeing. Yes. Yeah. And of course here, here I am talking about mm-hmm. teachings in terms of principle, I'm not talking about my own practice, I I tend to consider myself very much a beginner. And, and so these these encouragements that I'm giving, this is not talking about me, this is talking about what we're encouraged to do by the Buddha, by our teachers, to so not not merely be satisfied with learning about the Dhamma, learning about the Buddha, rather exercising this potential we have to reflect mm. in the pursuit of wisdom. There's a, what I think of as a teaching story from the Rajan related to having visited America many years ago. and. And uh, went back to Thailand, and he was explaining to presumably a Thai audience when he, when he got back to Thailand. And said, "Oh, here in Thailand, you know, we always present the teachings and and like stages of Sila Samadhi Panya, you know, cultivating integrity, cultivating um, Samadhi, collectedness, heart and mind." Disciplined attention, and panya, or wisdom, insight, clear seeing. However, he said, in America, you can't teach like that. You can't teach sila, samadhi, panya. You've got to teach them panya first, because that's what they're interested in. You teach them about panya, to give them the wisdom teachings, and they find that interesting, and encourage them to cultivate samadhi, and they find that interesting. And then they can come around to, hopefully, come around to seeing the benefit of sila. And he gave this example. He says, like, you know, he said for Americans, it's like they're sitting there; they don't know what's really going on, and they, and you, they start developing a little bit of, of reflection or reflecting on the wisdom teachings and developing some samadhi, and then they start sitting up straight and and looking at what's in front of them, and they see this this poisonous centipede about to bite them, and then they get scared, and and that's when they start really paying attention, and so that's the same thing with realising the benefit of sila. If you don't cultivate integrity, then uh, there's going to be real suffering and all the interest that we might have in, in the wisdom teachings or in practising samadhi, if we're compromising sila, then it's going to undermine our effort. So wherever, wherever we start uh, in practice, whatever inspires us, all of this, all of these stages need to be included. Uh, sila, Samadhi, Panya. It's all Dhamma. And if we're missing something out, then there, there's going to be consequences. Sila is you know, that uh, remember that conversation that the Buddha had with Venerable Ananda and, and he's pointing out the benefit of Sila is the freedom from remorse. And what is the experience of freedom from remorse? it's that inner contentment yeah. when there's remorse there's discontentment freedom from remorse is that sense of inner ease and this is this is different from just keeping rules because you're afraid of being punished, that's like looking outwards again if we just see cultivating Seelah as the five precepts and if we don't keep them we're going to get into trouble somebody's going to tell us off or punish us that's where our attention is going out, well. um, Rather, the five precepts, really the five precepts, uh, we can use them as a, as a tool for developing awareness of our intention. Because, you know, the, the Buddha pointed out, the you know, kama is intention. It's our intention that matters. It's intentionally harming living beings. It's intentionally telling lies. These are the things that he was, he was encouraging us to refrain from. You know, intentional activity, that's going to cause harm. How are we going to find out whether our intention is wholesome or unwholesome? It requires an inner looking, not just looking outwards. And what does the rule really say? Can I kill kill ants? And and is that all right? Because ants are so small, not kill dogs and and argue about such matters. What the Buddha wanted to see was that intention to cause harm, to recognise that intention to cause harm and to refrain from following it. That takes an, an inner seeking, an inner observation, an inner, an inner inquiry. So cultivating sila, not just outwardly in terms of outer forms, also inwardly. Cultivating samadhi, disciplined attention. Sometimes, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard, I heard at some stage that somebody asked Ajahn how much samadhi is needed and and apparently said enough to read a book. What does that really mean? Well to me it sounds like what it means is a steadiness of attention. A steadiness of attention. Not so that we can read more Dhamma books and more information about Dhamma and about the Buddha and about where the first Buddha images came from and, and so on. Rather as was illustrated in that Example of the talk I gave last week where Ajahn Chah was confronted by great fear and sadness. So as you can read your own heart. That's what disciplined attention is potentially capable of doing. If we don't have disciplined attention, if our attention is all over the place, then we can't read the condition of our heart and mind. We can't ask the right questions. There needs to be that steadiness. If you've ever worked a a treadle sewing machine, it's a it's a good example of of the need for embodied attention, embodied dis, disciplined attention. You've got to you work the treadle with your foot. There's no electricity. You work the treadle with your foot, and and then with your right hand you're turning the the wheel, and then your left hand you're you're pushing the cloth through, and you're steadying, and you've got to keep all these going together, and this steadiness and if you're up in your head and thinking about what a good sewer you are or whether somebody's going to be impressed with your sowing, you're likely to make squiggly lines and not sew very well at all or if you're all hot and bothered in the heart and, and in a hurry and, and you can likewise get out of sync and not be working the the treadle properly and so there's embodied disciplined attention including the heart, including the mind or well, well, those of you that haven't worked a treadle sewing machine might have learned how to throw a pot on a potter's wheel and one that doesn't have electricity and again you're you're working the, the wheel with your foot and and then you Throwing this sloppy piece of mud in the middle of the, the wheel on top and, and then applying equal pressure. And, and it takes focus, it takes disciplined attention, embodied disciplined attention and then slowly you, you bring up the side, you make the walls a certain thickness, bring up the pot and keeping this equal pressure, it takes a, an effort. Just the right kind of effort. Too much pressure from the right, and it goes wobbly. Too much pressure from the left, it goes wobbly. You forget how to make the right movement with the foot, then you lose the pressure, and the whole thing collapses. So, this disciplined attention, embodied disciplined attention, a cultivation of samadhi, we're thinking about, and and the right kind of effort. Trying too hard, and, and Give ourselves a headache and get even more stressed. Not trying hard enough and the mind is all over the place. Um, How do we know the right amount? Well, you can read all sorts of books and listen endlessly to teachers going on about different aspects of of samadhi and the amazing experiences that they've had and, and you can feel very excited and impressed and wish you could have those experiences as well. However, all of that is the tension going outwards again disciplining attention, turning attention around to look inwards, feeling inwards, what does it mean to have steadied attention just the right amount? So, sila, samadhi and panya, wisdom, discernment, insight. We could be thinking again about panya or wisdom as the accumulation of information That's true up to a point. However, again, it's just like accumulating recipe books. We can starve to death. We've got so many recipe books and they're all about cooking. What matters is are we cooking the food and eating it? Are we eating the food? And so are we being nourished by the kind of effort? And so that's something that we're only going to know by feeling inwards, by listening inwards, mm. by looking inwards. And so, whatever approach we might have to the Buddhist teachings, whether it's and perhaps we're coming from an academic perspective, perhaps coming from a cultural, culturally conditioned attitude, or or maybe we may be coming from some New Age perspective, or it doesn't matter. Wherever we come from, what matters is that. The effort we're making is teaching us actually how to really let go of our habits of clinging so we're learning to see the actual cause of suffering. Like we were chanting the Dhamma Sutta this evening, the world is talking about the actual cause of suffering is clinging. Yeah. It's not having pleasant feelings or painful feelings. Pleasant and painful feelings are normal. Yeah. So long as we're human beings we're going to experience agreeable and disagreeable feelings. What we can do potentially or what we're encouraged to do is to turn our attention inwards in just the right way at the right time and ask the right sort of questions so as our attention is directed in the way whereby we see what we need to see and learn how to let go. And this is this letting go is not This is not just another concept. It is a concept. We have the concept of letting go. You can read about letting go in books. What is the experience of letting go of fear? What is the experience of letting go of fear? Again, you read in the scriptures an example of how you're walking along a path and, and you see what you think is a snake and you freak out completely as a snake and I said it's a poisonous steak and goodness knows what's going to happen next and, and you're really afraid and your heart is pumping and you're sweating and, and then you realise it's a piece of rope and you like, oh oh, what a relief it's just a piece of rope it's not, that's, not, that's not just a concept that's not just a concept that's letting go that's being free from the fear In that case, it was the change in understanding of what had triggered the fear. Also, it's not just the understanding that can bring about letting go. It's also uh, a recognition of the the whole relationship we have with feelings. Mm -hmm. Not trying to stop feeling afraid. Not trying to stop feeling sad not trying to stop feeling aversion. It's perfectly normal to feel aversion. If you see somebody acting like a bully and you don't feel aversion, you just say equanimity, equanimity. That's weird. Mm -hmm. If you see a bully, then of course there's a sense of aversion. What matters is can we feel the aversion without being drawn into hating? Mm -hmm. In other words, without clinging to the aversion and then projecting that pain out on the other person and hating them. That's a big difference. So how are we going to be able to read what's really going on in our hearts and minds if we're still sending our attention outwards? So I would suggest that, again, whatever our initial approach to Dhamma might be, whatever our initial interest in Buddhism might be, Hopefully it will take us in the direction whereby we learn the skill of turning attention around and listening inwards, feeling inwards, looking inwards until there can be a real letting go. Thank you very much this evening for your attention.